and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand in downtown Los Angeles, we had master distiller Alan Winchester in the house from The Glen Livet. I'm going to say it once again, master distiller from The Glen Livet. We tried the 12, we tried the 14, we tried the Nadura, the 15, the 18, the Enigma. It was an incredible night of whiskey education and tasting with the community that we create together. Be sure to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means don't get all drunky and think you know it all. Stay friendly. Kindness is supreme. Cheers to you. All right, all right. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. The slow cop is very effective in waking up those of you who have already had too much whiskey and are falling asleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a great night. We have, how long has it been since you've been to the States? 21 years. 21 years. Frank, Frank Sinatra's funeral was happening at the same time, yes. You were invited by the Sinatra family? No, but I went up and I still have a piece of police tape. From the oh, really? Stop in the street. Uh, yeah. Alas. <laughs> All right. But we have to give it up because we've got the master distiller, Alan Winchester, in the house from the Glenlivet. Thank you. Also, Thank you. Also, Alex Robertson, who's head of the the Heritage and Education Program for the Glenlivet. He's in charge of like all the brand ambassadors all over the world and the archives, which are quite extensive when it comes to this brand, which is one of the most storied brands in the history of single malt scotch. The second biggest seller? Yes, we're uh, trade places with Glenlivet. You, you guys just like again. slug it out every, yeah, every couple it months. It's yeah, like, that's it. But it's a friendly but America battle. has the best tastes. Oh, really? It's number one single malt in America for a long time. <laughs> we, don't, we won't talk politics because sometimes we have really terrible tastes. <laughs> <laughs> but this brand, you guys have been around one of the first licensed distillery, like, you guys have been in business since 1824. That's when you yeah. had a license. Yeah. But at that same site, you've been distilling there for... We've been distilling a lot longer than that, yes. Obviously, we were distilling illegally at that in the early days. Uh, Glenlivet is out of moonshine and roots, and it's to do with the taxation of our area. There is older distilleries, but it's the modern whiskey industry came from the 1823 Distilling Act. Our founder, George Smith, went and took a license out. He took a license out in an area that was recorded to have 200 illicit stills. So he wasn't very popular with 199 of the right. others. But one of the stories about that is in 1822, King George IV came to Edinburgh for the first time. A ruling monarch had came to Scotland. You know, the Scots were a wee bit rebellious. Oh, a wee yeah. bit like we're Irish cousins. And uh, the king came and he wanted to get, hit, get down. He wanted to get hip with his Scots. So what did he do? He asked for something totally illegal, but was considered high quality whiskey. He asked for the real Glenlivet. It was totally illegal. And I've been using the analogy, it's like our queen. 
asking for some illegal substance just to be hip and cool right, with the Right, she showed folk. up in California and asked to smoke a joint. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You imagine BBC with that story. But anyway, the landowners at the time says we need to reform the law and they encouraged certain folk in their estates. It was the Duga Gordon and George Smith took out his license. And he determines the Speyside style as we know today. And can you describe what that is traditionally? Like, or is there a true tradition? I, I, I would like to kind of unwrap that mystery a little bit. Like, we kind of think of there's generalizations like lowland style, highland style, Speyside style, yeah. the style that they have in Isla and the Isles. Yeah. Is that something that was just created in the modern era, or has that always been a certain style? No, the, the, the areas that you're speaking about, the Highland Line, we'll start with it. The Highland Line was a taxation line. The, the big controlling families of the day, the Steens, the Hagues, uh, the Jamesons, were legal distillers, and they used the might of the Industrial Revolution. The first steam engine in Scotland was to fire a distillery. That's true. So the taxation was different in the lowlands from the highlands. The highlands was forced underground, but they made quality whiskey. These guys had to make fast distillation from that, the continuous distillation process come. So the highlanders made the quality whiskey and smuggled it into the lowlands, much, much to their annoyance. So when the king was asking for something illegal, it was time for reform. On the styles, Isla, it's to do with the fuel that they have, the very heavily peated peat, gives a big intensity into it. Orkney is a different sector, more a sea, sea moor peat. Uh, less phenols, but a lovely taste, and uh, you'll see that in Highland Park. Um, mm. Campbelltown. Campbelltown, a re region that went out of fashion, Prohibition, Delta, and Blow, and also the, we'll blame the Americans, you know? Please. The, flav the flavor in America after the war, the Second World War, the GIs got a taste of it. We exported whiskey to you to get dollars so that we could fight the war. And then when the GIs came over, they, they loved the Scotch whiskey, but they would say, I like it with a little less peat. So we started in Speyside reducing it because we've got the fruity floral characters of Speyside, which was the, was the defining flavors of the brands that were very popular, Chivas Regal, exported to the States since mm -hmm. 1909, is it, Alec? Yeah. And all over the world. All over the world, an international brand. Can you differentiate the styles between the Highlands and Speysides a little bit, just in general? Right, the Highlands, the Highlands, North of Highlands, broadly speaking, I would expect to see in a Highland whiskey uh, that lovely honeyed notes. Uh, not as fruity sometimes as the Speysides, but there's lots of delicate, but Highlands, difficult to tie down if you use the example of Glenmorangie, which is very light. And yet down the road you have Dalmore, which is this great big bruiser of a whiskey. But the Speyside is a subdivision of the Highland, round about the River Spey. It cuts it in half. It's a river that flows to the northeast. And they are determined with their fruity, floral styles. And you'll keep hearing that man I repeat it like a mantra. Glenlivet, fruity, floral, hint of toffee, maybe banana, 
most definitely pineapple. And what would you attribute those aspects of the flavor profile to? Is that because of the stills or is that because you guys play around with different wine cask finishes? That's a good question. Uh, on the distillery process in itself, I say you can't pick one. And I always use it as in the orchestra or the football player. Okay. That everything has to be in place because Glenlivet is the most copied pot still shape in the world. And I'm looking around some of these fantastic bottles here. Yamazaki distillery used to have Glenlivet style shapes. They still have one or two. Carvalin, mm -hmm. that row there. Mm -hmm are really identical Glenlivet pot stills. But that's not Glenlivet. The magic never travelled with the copper pot still. Uh, the reason being, I've asked the coppersmith to weld, weld in a little patch of iron and that'll kill the whiskey. <laughs> that's a joke. That's a joke. That's <laughs> a joke. Okay. So, so that doesn't travel, but the water supply is unique to Glenlivet. Josie's Well's part of it, Blifrindy so Springs. So Josie's Well, okay, so is this like actual well? This is a well, it bubbles up very deep from the ground. It's got some temporary hardness. Again, that, that's one of the myths dispelled. Not all the Speyside whiskies are soft water, some are hard. And how does that affect the fermentation? Because we talk about, like again, going back to the flavor profile, those fruity notes, I would like to think a lot of time that's, those are esters yep. coming from the fermentation. Yes. Do you guys, is, do you have a, a specific kind of fermentation that encourages the growth of those like tropical fruit flavors and that kind of yep. thing? Or do you attribute it more to the, the style of water creating different aspects in the fermentation. Well, correct all that things. The water, right, the water is ideal for brewing, but we're not making beer. But it's ideal for extracting the certain characters. Because I love it, that fruity floral style will be manipulated by the style of the brewing process. And then the fermentation is very important because many of that fruits, the orchard fruits that we have, uh, the pears, the apples, have the influence from the malted barley and the brewing process with the action of yeast. And that's important. Length of fermentation is very important. And all these little tricks go together to produce the orchestral sound. Beautiful. Do you guys have, a, how long is your fermentation? Fermentation is around about 50 hours. And you were describing how your stills have been copied all around the world by so many different distilleries. How do you gauge like, are they large stills or are these kind of like medium-sized stills? They look very large stills. Uh, we were quoting this, the size, total height of the wash still, seven meters. But they have this distinctive copper shape. It comes in and it comes out like a tulip. It, look, comes, it looks like that glass. Okay. We call it the pinch waste of the tulip. And this all encourages the copper kiss. The amount of copper available to the vapors rising up is essential in the Glenlivet for producing the fruit. So the stills are important, so that copper kiss is important. It's also how we manipulate the stills, and they, the stills, haven't been changed in over 150 years. We know that through records. The method operation is nearly 200 years. We have lots of science to support it. That's a final arbiter. And also it's a final arbiter with the customer as well. And you guys have been basically making it the same way for 150, 200 years? We've been making single malt Scotch whiskey with malted barley for many different years. You are correct about the next part. The different oak casks will enhance flavors. They also take off immature flavors of the new spirit. 
but we replace them with lovely oaky flavours and they manipulate the fruits, etc. We recover in distillation. I always quote one of my old bosses, one of the old owners of another distillery, he says, it's the impurities that we leave in will be the character of the whiskey. Wow, that's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. I like to think that, that, that'll work for me. That was Major McKessick at Glengarrand. <laughs> so what is this first spirit that Stephanie's brought around for everyone here tonight? The Glenlivet 12. The Glenlivet 12. Well, I love it, 12. So Alec and I are here in the footsteps of Captain Bill Smith Grant, one of the last family owners. He took to America. At the end of prohibition, he came over and he, you guys interested in some scotch? As you call it, we call it whiskey. Uh, and he got the Glenlivet 12-year-old into the Pullman trains. The, the ultimate... Uh, what's the word, uh, luxurious way to travel around the States before fl air flight. And it was a Glenlivet miniatures came to it, the 12 year old. And that's where I call it America's love affair with Glenlivet, which we are very proud of why we're number one single mall. Now we've repackaged it from the green bottle and we've given the family, the team describe it here as a family, and we've repackaged it and that. We have went and mentioned double oak on it, and many of our loyal customers have said, have you changed it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've changed the label. That's what we've always done. We've taken the, 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 the best of both cask styles. We use the American oak, and this is predominantly American oak. Because one of the beauties of Prohibition was, at the end of Prohibition, the loss was that it had to be in a charred oak container, emptied. And guess who's queuing up to buy second-hand casks? The Scots, the Irish, now the Japanese. Any emerging nation is wanting these casks because the bourbon has taken that big rush of vanilla flavours out, but we love that vanilla flavours in the second fill to give us characters. It enhances the Glenlivet style. It enhances the fruity florals. Also with this one, we've added a bit more of American first fill because we are trying to produce a whiskey. It's got a really creamy, rich taste, which accentuates the toffee notes. So are you recharring the barrels then at Glenlivet? No, 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 no. So you're, you're getting barrels from Kentucky? Yeah, and, and we'll use them a few times. Okay. But for this one, it's predominantly American oak and add some first after bourbon, first time Glenlivet's okay. been mature. Okay, first fill and glass. second fill then. That's right. All right, so stick your nose in this glass. What was your question, Um do you get it from a specific distillery in Kentucky, or no, do you source it? No, we have long-term contracts with some of the cooperage companies in Kentucky. Uh, who's the biggest producers of bourbon? We speak to all these guys. Yeah. We see them. You come to the distilleries, it's quite open. We'll, we'll show you, you'll see them. We, we used to say, oh, we never heard of that one. And then we learned that we could work out the distillery name for the number. Ah, yes. Because we would see something that we'd never seen before, mm -hmm. like... Uh, Clear Springs or something like this, but we look for the style, and that's why when we put it together, we try to produce a consistent style, mm -hmm. and that's very important. Glenlivet, the balance of Glenlivet is important. The consistency of the style. So let's get into this a little bit. Stick your nose in that glass. Breathe in gently through your mouth. Share some food words. What are you reminded of as you smell the Glenlivet Twelve here? Graham cracker crust. Graham cracker crust. Nice. I get a nice little citrus note in there. Yes. Maybe some citrus, lemon and pineapple. Very much so. Yeah. 
What are you guys oh. getting back there? You got a wee splash of water from a place. Michael? White fruits. White fruits? Yeah. Okay. Peach. Peach? Ah, peach, yeah. Peach, yeah. We, it's a summer fruit. Smell a lot of whiskey. <laughs> who, said, who said whiskey? Go and describe yeah. whiskey. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, noses don't lie, right? Yeah, no because, wrong answers. because we get folk that come to Scotland and say, I don't like whiskey, I had a bad experience. <laughs> and we say, well, describe the flavour. And that's why Dom put that in. What is a whiskey character? It is all the flavours you're just you were discussing just now. Mm -hmm. It's buttery, I guess some pear as well. Now tap it over your tongue. How does that experience change from your nose to the back of your palate? Sometimes your nose will lead you in one direction, the tongue will tell you something completely different. So allow yourself to be surprised, you know? What are you guys getting? There's no wrong answers. And I'll explain that to you maybe. Well, I'll, 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 I'll go into it just now. What was the characters I was saying the new make spirit? I'm looking for that and that whiskey. Uh, I described uh, summer fruits, summer fruits to me in Scotland is apples and pears. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking for the pineapple note in the back of it, and I might be looking for a bit of the toffee, and also a bit of European oak, so you might see some complexity of slight spices in it. Yeah, a little bit of that oak spice, but really it's, it, I'm getting that, those caramel and apple notes on my tongue. That's right. My nose was giving me like that lemon and pineapple, but on the tongue I'm getting that red apple, Buttery pear and then like, yeah, caramel. Buttery pear, buttery toffee that go together. Now the buttery American oak cask. Beautiful. This, the founders that we did, so I was speaking about the 12 there and I was drifting at the, the founders. The founders is a creamy, creaminess for it. This is back from the creaminess to enhance the toffee note. Beautiful grip, wow. Get do you have a specific mix. ratio of what, uh, what you use uh, for the first and second fill barrels, or do you kind of just, is it batch by batch and you taste it for consistency, or do you have that ratio already set for you've answered. You've answered it, that is the answer that we, it, it's to maintain a little bit 12 year old style. Fruity floral, hint of toffee, bit of pineapple, that style, we try and keep that. That's why we changed the founders to make it creamier toffee, creamier on the mouth feel. But this is 12, this is, this is the standard whiskey. Oh, I've also been saying to folk, because I, when I started in the industry tw in 1975, 12 year old was considered an old single malt. Right. And an old blended whiskey. And what was it? Chivas Regal and Glenlivet. Oh, wow. So tell us a little bit about your personal background. How did you become a distiller? Did you start off like rolling barrels around in the rack houses or did you, did you come from like a chemistry, organic chemistry background or how did it start for you? I, uh, I took a summer job because I'd left school and I had a career path mapped out and I showed visitors around the distillery for the first few months. My career path didn't open up and I joined the production. The manager of the distillery manager says, what are you doing, Alan? What are you doing next? And I says, oh, I'll, I'll wait and look for a job. There's a job here for you. And I worked there for a few years. Yeah. Wow. And how By long accident. Have you been, how long have you been master distiller now? Master distiller 10 years. Wow. I took over from a gentleman, Jim Cryo, before that, a very experienced distiller. Yes. Beautiful things. So Stephanie's coming around with the second mark here. This is the Glenlivet Nadura. Now, Nadura is a Gaelic word, I'm yes, guessing. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm not guessing, I actually knew that, but um, <laughs> yeah. um, 
Can your you guess is right. <laughs> <laughs> your informed guess is correct. What, what is the Nadura? Nadara, uh, Nadura, Nadara, whatever. Yeah, correct me, please. Now, my no, I'm not correct. I'm not correcting you because you come to Scotland. Everybody knows what you're speaking about. But we, we Gales, the, the Irish here, we, we speak the same Celtic language, but we speak it differently. Even in Scotland, it's spoken differently. It, it's natural. And I, these were whiskies that we developed a few years ago because. Of, very, this is 12 year old, it's a 40%, but we saw whiskies were coming in stronger. We're going back to strong whiskies. And also, this is a great example. Nadara is an example of the building blocks that we use at Glenlivet. It's a single cask whiskey. So Nadura actually means natural, meaning you're not watering it down to proof. We don't cut it, no. no. So, this is what you get. This is what the whiskey tastes like for you as you're going through your day and kind of out testing of, many different barrels. Out of, out of a single sherry cask, Orozo, European oak, opposite of uh, American oak, American oak gives the vanillas. If I want to add spice, any master distiller or blender wants to add spice, he puts it in a European cask, sherry cask. And this is a sherry cask we used to get all the sherry imported in the casks to the port of Edinburgh, which is Leith, where the big whiskey guys were based. The casks were used to put colour in the whiskey. That's why uh -huh. it's a brown spirit. And also to put spice. It was also prized for its flavour. Mm -hmm. So, as you guys smell this Nadura, what food words come to mind? What are you guys reminded of? From that French oak, how does it change from that first expression, which is that American oak? Say again? European. It tastes European? No, no, no. You said it was French oak. It's not French oak. France isn't part of Europe? <laughs> You're correct. It's Spanish oak. Spanish it's all oak. European Spanish oak. Oloroso. All right. But you have to remember that we sometimes, some of the companies take American oak through the Spanish industry because Sherry has to be bottled in Spain now. A single malt has to be bottled in Scotland. Right. So now there's not these shipping containers. We go and get the casks built new with work contracts like America. They go to Spain and secure new casks, season Royal Rosso for two years. Beautiful. And do you guys have a specific sherry company that you work with you? I know that some of the brands, they basically kind of lease sherry so they get their barrels made they put sherry in it and then they actually give the sherry back to the producers again is that what you do as well the, basically just season the barrels the guy that makes our casks a guy called miguel martin he uh, seasons it with oroso and he he makes lots of spanish vinegar with it now okay at the Some end of damn it. good vinegar there you go so uh, so why the Oloroso? What is, why do you love that kind of sherry as opposed to like a Fino or these many, many different kinds of sherries? Yeah, I was looking at the Fino there, but it's rather dark. But uh, the reason we like the Oloroso is the, the interaction in the Oloroso with the Glenlivet characters we think shows off Glenlivet very well. Right on. So tap this over your tongue. What do you guys get off this Nadura? Okay. Has anybody seen it? It's very smooth. Six, 
60 odd percent alcohol, 120 US proof. It's the straight out of the cask. You see that? It's amazing. That's why I take a wee drop water in it. But you, here, everybody drinks whiskey correctly if it's the way they enjoy it. And that's the most important thing. Well, let's talk about how do people, if I was going to say Ballandock where the distillery is and I'm, I'm tucking into a little pub there to enjoy a little whiskey, what is like the average person in Scotland, how do they drink their whiskey? Because I've seen like, little pictures of water on yes. the bars there. And a lot of times I've seen people like add a lot of water. Is, yeah. is that very traditional? Tell us about like the style of drinking in Scotland. <laughs> we're Scottish, we like anything, you know, but yeah, but you're, you're very much so, uh, like of us, and I'm speaking as uh, distillery folk, we drink it with water, yeah, yeah. a bit of water. As the older the whiskey gets, we will uh, hold back in the water, because long maturation will really soften and smoothen the whiskey. But you know, like that, in my visit to America, I have... It's been very warm for me. And, it's know, warm right now, but that's because our AC is not working very well tonight. And I understand now why a highball is so popular here. Right. Yeah. It's only about three days of the year we would need a highball because it was so hot. Right. Uh, and also, we're moving into our fall and into winter, and the water comes out less there. So. But uh, uh, as Alex says, Alex says in his uh, speech, he says, a Scotsman's idea of a uh, cocktail sometimes is putting lime in his lager. <laughs> lager and lime or a spot of lemonade. I'm down with that. That sounds like a good cocktail to me. And also, also many of the old guys I worked with would drink blended whiskey with a splash of Put some lemonade. beer in it? Lemonade. Oh, with lemonade. Like, yeah. Kind of like a shandy vibe. Kind of. And also some of, us would, some of the guys would buy a half pint and a whiskey and it called a half and a half. Yeah which is half and half, and they would drink their beer and sip their whiskey. That's what I like. Yeah, That's yeah. my favorite style. Cleanser, whiskey, cleanser. So, but if you know people are gonna be drinking it with water, when you're at the distillery and you're testing your whiskeys, do you drink it with a lot of water as well to see how it stands up? Yeah, every, every week we knows the previous week's production. The team knows the spirit at every stage of the process. But then the week, uh, Glenlivet joins with some of the other distilleries in the group, uh, and we knows all the spirits. We knows them in blue glasses, similar to this. I knows in glass. We we don't have the tasting glass. Yeah, I love this glass because you can put your mouth and nose in it at the same at time. At the same time, yeah. Very important that when you're drinking it. But for nosing, you just have the little capita, and you nose it, and you nose it quite quickly. You go along the sections. You take a control, which is the ideal standard for Glenlivet. Height, the, the team is height, he, hidden. Uh, control in the other samples, and we know it against. We score it, we identify it, and we pass comet in the flavors. Protein Neat, flavor. without any water added? No, water at 20% alcohol. Oh, okay, so brought way down to proof. Way down, because it takes away the alcohol prick so that and allows us question. to look at the character. Interesting. And I was just out in Kentucky this last week. We were buying single barrels for here at the bar, and Stephanie was there, too, picking out some single barrels. Um, but one of the things they do in the lab there, the professional stations, they have, like, a crew of 20 people who are, like, doing all these barrel samples, and they hide an off flavor. They have one glass in this, like, triangle of glasses that is bad and if they can't detect the one that's off 
then they don't get to be a taster that day. That, that, is, that is part of our training. The training is revisited every year. So the team that knows is the spirit. Uh, the ladies are really good nosers. Folk at work in the laboratories are good nosers. But you sometimes find somebody that has an exceptional nose. So they're always good additions to the team. Yeah. Sounds like a fun job. Here, this is for you. This is our, our, All right. our third mark here. Cheers. Right, cheers. Well, yeah, Lef, you're a, a master distiller. You probably know a little something about toasts. Yes, can yeah. You, can you give us a toast? Slangeva. Slangeva. Good health. Good health. Slange more. Is a, the reply. Slangeva. Slangeva. Slange more. And the, the, the Irish use. I would say Slangeva as well, yeah. Oh, did you say Van? Slangeva. Van. Slangeva. And slange more. Slange more, yeah. Big slange. Big, big cheers, yeah. Well, cheers, it is. Slange We're beginning to agree on some things. So this is the third mark that Stephanie's brought around for everyone. The Glenlivet 14. Oh, it's that little Chico bottle. You guys sold out of all those oh, yeah. normal bar liters. Yeah, right. <laughs> we have these little 375s going around. That was originally a distillery-only release. And that's a pretty new mark. This hasn't this always new. been around. Yeah, Tell us, how did it come about that you guys wanted to create this 14-year-old expression? Uh, this one is, the 14-year-old is an exclusive only for the United States. Uh, a few years ago, we started working on this project, and it was a cognac cask. And it came about with, ugh, Everybody's looking, as Alec will tell you, everybody's looking for new characters, new flavours, what's going on. The first question I'll get tonight is, what's in the pipeline from Glenlivet? Well, this is what's been in the pipeline for a while. We've introduced it to our own market, but we haven't declared the age in our own market. This is a total different expression for America, American exclusive. But about 100 years ago, our owner inherited the distillery while fighting in the trenches in France. His son, his brother, who was the heir apparent, was killed early, early in the year, uh, 1917. He was in the Royal Flying Corps, which became the Royal Air Force, who are coming to Los Angeles in a few days All to right. do, uh, what's the beach? Uh, they're gonna be at Huntington Beach. So uh, the captain inherited the distillery. He was fighting in France, we thought we, we as a company have a cognac, and the chief blender spoke to the chief blender at Martel, I'm not allowed to say Martel, and uh, we borrowed some casks from them. We've matured it in the American oak predominantly and the European oak, and then we personally select some of the spirit and put it into uh, cognac cast to give us some of the cognac flavors, to give us the finesse of the cognac, but also the sweetness from the grape. And we think that accentuates the Glenlivet flavor. Now in Scotland, you guys have a little bit, we have very stringent laws when it comes to whiskey here in America. Yes. And I know in, in Scotland it's a little looser. You guys are allowed to put in a certain percentage of undisclosed ingredients. Does that mean you guys can no, no, put no, no. like cognac no. in? Are those like no. really wet cognac barrels? No. Is there like 2% cognac in this whiskey? No, no. Uh, we think our, our laws are tighter than your laws. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yours came from the Taft legislation and then the 1960s. Ours came from 1908 when whiskey was quite... We used to spell it with an E in the legislation. Anyway, what happened was we are only allowed to mature in oak casks. The contents which previously in the cask have been emptied. It's what the cask has absorbed and also what the cask gives us, the compounds of the oak. So here in the 14-year-old cognac, we have the compounds coming up from our tronchia cask. Tronchia cask is used in the maturation martel because it helps and shapes the martel in a delicate spirit with a slightly harder oak. It's still, I think it's it's Quercus roba, mm -hmm. which is European oak, mm -hmm. and it gives a lot of the lovely cards. And this European oak, spicy notes, licorice, cinnamon, apricot jam, that's coming from the Glenlivet style, sort of reacting with the, the cognac style. Big nose in this whiskey, it's bursting with fruit and then gives this lovely texture. And it gives you the spicy notes. You'll get the spicy licorice. All right, so let's it you say, try it out. What do you say, tap it on your tongue? Tap it over oh, your tongue. Oh, I love that. Breathe I in jelly <laughs> through your it's mouth. It's a new one for me, that one. All right. Tap it over your tongue. Yeah, and share your food words, guys. What are you experiencing as you try this Glenlivet 14? Come on, no wrong answers, don't be shy. See the Glenlivet character still there. Mm -hmm. And that's something I also want to add is Glenlivet's got great balance. Mm -hmm. And I, as a master distiller and a master blender would say, they want to ensure that consistency of style is kept, but also to have it balanced so that each of the maturations don't over-dominate it. You know? Mm -hmm. The old rose is a great example because the sherry should dominate it, but no, it plays well with the fruits in the Glenlivet. I get like this amazing like brown butter from that cognac cask. Something that's ah, like right. really changes the texture, texture, not just the flavor. Yeah. It's like it's really very creamy, but yeah, beautiful brown butter, maybe some brown sugar in there, like uh, some bananas foster kind of vibe. Yeah. It brings out those tropical fruits, but yeah. with some nice like and vanilla I'm, ice cream. Yeah, and I'm seeing the cinnamons and the, the, the licorice and the spice in it as well. Beautiful. No, it's not, it's chill filtered but I think it's a superb mouthfeel mm -hmm. and I think that's coming from the oaks that we've used in the maturation. It's a beautiful whiskey and can we get some bottle prices? Who's our local rep? How much is this going to run in my local liquor store? If I was going to get the 14 year for my home bar what would it run me? 39. Wow. Just giving it away. Less than $40 for an, a 14 year old single malt finished in a cognac cask that's a pretty good deal if you 14 ask year me, old, right? yeah, and it's an exclusive to the United States. Oh, interesting. That's right. You were saying that yeah. you see this stuff go by on the production line, but it's only sold in the States, so you never you get, get to actually wave. see it, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's, like, it's like Alec and I have got, uh, we've got six suitcases going back full of case, uh, bottles of the Enigma. I, I can't get it in the UK. Right, so, so that will, there's going to be some smuggling going on. Uh, yeah. See, we're, we're still bootleggers. We're still bootleggers. <laughs> Cheers to that. Cheers to you guys. You like that 14 years? Beautiful, right? Yeah. And one thing to add to it, we did it in the colors of, we did the colors of the brand. We had a look of it. And when America saw it, it says, you know, this is, this is color of the purple heart. 
military connection. So there's a donation from each bottle that's been sold in the States to the Purple Heart Foundation. Wow. That's so, really cool. So saluting the military of the US yeah. with the military from Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Uh, is that angel share uh, true where like every year uh, allegedly 2% is, is lost in the oak? Yeah, is so that a relative, relative arbitrary? 2% used to be the customs excise allowance. So the customs excise would say, right, what year one you, you used to lose 3% because the oak would end drink. And then you would have a 2% loss. After that, it was 2% a year. But it's always 2% of what was there at the end of the year. So the part de ange is 2% per year. Now, it can be slightly more and it can be slightly less, but it has to be within a tolerance that the custom size used to keep an eye on us. Now, in Scotland, rule of thumb, 2% a year, and it generally loses half a percent, but that's a rule of thumb. But you'll find differences. Uh, and also remember that when you're looking at the Nandaras and the cask strength additions, they will vary with each cask, depending on where the cask is. Not as widely as Kentucky, you know, the top yeah, well, of the shed. Those are like seven stories yeah. tall. You guys do dungeon-style warehouses, which tend to be like two to three barrels. Yeah. We, we do mature high and we do mature in pallets, but our climate is a lot, a lot gentler in the sense it's more averaged out. Do you have all of your barrels aging at your distillery, or do you have off-site no. aging going on, no. like in Glasgow or something? Uh, it, uh, Chivas Brothers is over 400 warehouses spread throughout Scotland, from the island Orkney down to Ayrshire. And the reason for that, and it's also thanks to the Canadian company that introduced us to loss control a lot of years ago. So if one, distil one location was, say, wiped out by something, a fire, we've all, God forbid. We've always, God forbid. Uh, if that happened, we've got a stock. We had a good example of that a few years ago. We had 35 warehouses damaged by a snowfall, and we never missed a beat. We never. And there was that famous fire in the distillery, right? They're all all the fires I've seen is in America. You know, <laughs> heaven, hell. Jim Beam. Just, yeah, we well, just I, had one in Jim Beam. I saw old, was old Crow had a fire the yeah, other week. Really yeah, recently, yeah. really recently. Really recently. <laughs> but you guys have then some palletized warehouses there. Absolutely, So yeah. when they say palletized, that means instead of the barrels being on their sides, they're actually stacked on pallets on their ends, which is a different kind of aging. How does that affect the flavor profile to stack the barrel right side up as opposed to on its side. Really what we see in Scotland is the effect is in the speed of maturation with it in the end because the two ends are not covered in spirit. So it's, it's, it's part of that. Again, that's part, that comes down to the consistency of the style of spirit. But we, we, have, we have many wrapped warehouses as well and you're correct, Dunnage warehouses as well. So everyone should have the Glenlivet 15 in their glass Let's talk about this, guys. You guys are being really quiet tonight. You're all in awe of the fact that we have the master distiller from the Glenlivet in the house. But please, don't disappoint with your food words. I want to know what you're experiencing as you smell this 15-year-old single malt from the Glenlivet. Share your experience. What do you guys smell? Ooh. 
Go ahead. Grapefruit peel. Grapefruit uh, peel. There's grapefruit, yeah. Yeah, that's a Glenlivet character I like to see. The, and also the zest from the grapefruits, the grapefruit in it. I smell like a little white chocolate, like this beautiful, like, almost like a custard. Custard again, uh, that, that we can often trace it through the modification, the distillery style with the oak again, and often tells you it's American oak as well. Yes. You can see those creamy notes, those uh, vanillins in the tannins vanillas. of the American white oak yeah. tree. And this one, we've used French oak, but we've used the other French oak. We've used the Limousin oak, and this is new casks. Not often do we use new casks in Scotland. Guess what we were trying to do? We are trying to put in spices. The Limousin <laughs> oak is softer in the tronquilla and gives lots of compounds back into the spirit. Beautiful. And what... Is, are all the, all the barrels involved in the production of the 15? Just American and American, French? American and Spanish, and then a portion and new fill American. Uh, uh, limousine. French limousine oak. Wow. So we call it a reserve, which is the same word as a cask selection. Mm. Not all the whiskies mature in the French oak, but we use it to complement the Glenlivet style again. That is amazing. When the guys looked at these whiskies, they looked when they were doing the Glenlivet, was always to try and make each of the ages distinctly different. Not keep aging it up in the same style, but vary it a bit. So as, as we go up our ages, the European oak influences uh, have more of an impact on it. So right up into the 25 year old. This really ramps up the nuttiness. On my tongue, That's I'm right. getting like, the almonds on top of the toffee, you know, it's just way nuttier that than roast, That other. roasted almonds is a really good descriptor of the style of, or, or, on the taste, yeah. And also a lovely long taste, a nice. Yeah, it lingers really well. Yeah. Great mouthfeel. What a um, beautiful whiskey. Alan, so what I was, I was reading, like you, you were just mentioning, so like, for example, some scotches have like the 16, just being a 12 age for more just years, age, they call it a, yeah. linear, a linear whiskey, right? That's right. Just Versus the Glenlivet, every single product yeah. is, is going in designed, right? But, but even a linear whiskey, the age will change it as well. The, the interaction of the oak with this, the, the spirit. It's a terrible thing to say, but I always look at an oak cask as a reactor. It's react, the spirit's reacting with itself, and it's reacting with the oak and it's breathing through the oak to the atmosphere. Yeah. But it's a, it's a reactor, reverse osmosis, you know. I know it sounds technical, but that's simply what's going on in that car. All the time, the spirit's in the oak maturing, and that's why our law says the age of the youngest spirit must should be the time it's spent. No, it's the youngest spirit. So that's 15, the youngest spirit is 15. The accountants will like it to be 15 years, but knowing how it, the business works, it might go even longer. And it's that, it's that unprecise thing of making whiskey is, we're trying to get the character, so we might use a wee bit older. We might use, but it's 15, so the youngest whiskey is 15 years old. Beautiful stuff. And it used to be that the Nadura had an age statement. It used to be the Nadura 16. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking that, like, just the popularity of single malt scotch has been exploding over the last Absolutely. 10 years so much that you had to take the age statement off just to be able to like meet orders, yeah. not watering it down to proof, but what would you estimate the Nadura 
age to be? Like, there's no number on there, but is it varying between like nine years or is it around 14, 15 year now? Or? I'm going to be really Scottish with my answer. It's maybe his yes, maybe his nose. <laughs> but Fair that, but the, answer, the answer to that one is, and that gives us quite a bit of scope to produce the Oroso. Oroso is not single cask, so we can take casks of various ages and marry them together, okay. but more to produce the style we want. So the, the flexibility is there that some of the whiskies are younger, some may be older, and that, yes, you're speaking about the 16-year-old, and it was very successful. Was Again, we did an exclusive for America, Triumph, was a superb whiskey, and that was to, and that was us trying to showcase the variety of grain we used in the the whiskey. But it allows us flexibility to go back and forth. Now, a variety of grains. So you weren't using just one varietal of malted barley. Were you actually making no corn whiskey or wheat whiskey no, as no, well? Or? No, no. Uh, if we made if we made that in Scotland, it'd be called grain whiskey. Right. It's no a, grain this whiskey. This is single this. malted barley. That's right. Never nothing else. And the triumph was the variety of the malted barley. Beautiful. Yeah. And how many varieties are you using now? Just one varietal? Well, we are we are playing with two just now. What, what are those? The predominant one is Concerto. Concerto. But we've been looking at some of the new varieties coming through. And what are those? Uh, gosh. Uh, the, the, the Concerto is from the optic varietal, is that right? Yeah, it comes. I'm, I'm not sure where Concerto's parents are, but optic was predominant a few years ago, and then we bred this other Concerto to support optic. So they all have family traits. Right, They're like, like cousins. It's optic number five yeah, concerto now. Yeah, and Prisma like was one we love. Triumph we stopped using because it was dormant. Oh, really? We couldn't wake it up. It was a Rip Van Winkle of uh, barley. And before that, in the 80s, it was the Golden Promise. Oh, no? Jeepers, aye, Golden Promise. We used Prisma a long time, but Golden Promise was one through from the 60s. Beautiful stuff. So Stephanie's coming around now with the next mark. This is the Glenlivet 18. Perhaps no one here has tried this one. Perhaps. <laughs> She's coming around now, so make it easier on her. Show her a nice empty glass. Oh, you got everybody? Okay. So stick your nose in this glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What food words come to mind as you smell this Glenlivet 18 year old? Oh, sorry. Creme brulee. Beautiful. Bananas. A lot of bananas. So what are the casks involved in this one here, Alan? Well, again, it's the American oak. Okay, you guys just missed that. He just put a good slug of water <laughs> on top of his whiskey here. Let's smell it. It's like being in a... You'll, you'll call it a candy store. I call it being in a sweet shop. It's good. The fruits are now developing into the sweets fruits. Paul Parkalt, the American author, described this as the Sean Connery of single malts. <laughs> Rich, very sophisticated, just like Alec, uh, because I'm, not, I'm poor, he's, he's rich and sophisticated. <laughs> 21 years ago I flew into Miami airport and the lady, I was, no I was flying out to Dallas, no I was flying to LA, get it right Alec. <laughs> 
the, the management wonders. Anyway, I was flying Delhi and she shouted her supervisor over. And in those days, we used to carry a few samples, you know, in the bag. I thought, oh, I'm in trouble here, trouble here. And she says to me, Susie, come over here, supervisor. Now say what you said to me. I said, so what do you want me to say? She says, I told you, he's Sean Connery. <laughs> so, Sean Connery, a single malt. But my accent's, my accent's further north. I don't speak like Sean Connery. Wow. How's that? Five out of ten. Creamy so really, I'm getting, it's actually kind of almost like a cheesy note going on here. It's like creamy with this great age on it, though. Yeah, I lo love the interrupt. And then again, we're on the European oak to take in the sort of uh, raisiny note, the, mm -hmm. the sort of the, the dry fruits that we use in like a Christmas cake. You know, sultanas. Yeah, there's a lot of spice raisins, on here too. I get some cinnamon and clove as well. And what I like about the 18, the oak, that 18 years with oak is taking a lot of compound in and it has a lovely drying effect at the end. So it's a lovely clean whiskey. Yeah, there's like a green note in here somewhere, somehow. There's like this almost like a, a fern smell. So when we were ha having a spot of lunch today, we were looking at the, drink, the, the drinks order, and we were looking at how Glenlivet 18-year-old compares to some of the others. And yet, I, one of the whiskey authors says, if you want to see a perfect example of aged Glenlivet, the Speyside style, this is the one. Wow. What are you guys getting on this 18? Dark chocolate. Yeah, this is an amazing, rich, go. long linger, for sure. Dark chocolate. Mm, I definitely I get love that. dark chocolate as well. Yeah, I get some plum too, dark chocolate. What else, you guys? Michael, what are you getting on this one? Lemon, a big citrus note. Citrus, yeah. Ripe fruit, yeah. That is gorgeous whiskey. What is the 18 gonna run me in my local liquor store? It's about 110 bucks. 110? Very reasonable for 18-year-old scotch. Well, absolutely. Also, reasonable because how short the industry is of 18-year-old, you'll see some of our competitors are very expensive. Stephanie and Ever are coming around with our final expression. Am I right? Are we on the final one? What is this one here? This is my favorite one tonight. This beautiful black bottle. It's my favorite because I don't have to tell you about the taste and notes. But I'll be delighted to hear what you say because this is a sec this is secret, I love it. And this was taken about a few years ago. We started with Alpha and I actually noticed you have a bottle of code here. Also, I see you have three single casks with the Pullman name on each of them and ploy. Again, exclusives. They're single casks. But you're saying you would like to come to Scotland to I want to create a, a single barrel program of single malt scotch coming to the States. Can we have this conversation in Scotland? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. Yeah. You can't get it if you don't ask. You yeah, know, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so this was something that you guys created. It's a mystery, meaning you're not going to tell us what casks are involved in the finishing of this whiskey, but I'm gonna guess, just on the nose, maybe there's a rum cask involved? You're not gonna tell us anything? No. Oh my goodness. 
I'll get a row. I'll get a big row from these guys. Oh, you've let it all out. That's it. Killed the campaign. Well, you have to say one word, yes or no. What, it's all right. what fun. What fun. But I'll tell you, this is an exclusive for America. We've done Alpha Code Cypher for the UK market, for the world market. But Enigma is only for America. And also, this is not at the unusual code. I think it was 46 or 48%. It was 48%. Why 48%? The strength that the whiskey remains clear without chill filtration. It goes to a colder country, it still keeps the compound. That's why the, that's why the bourbon guys always bottled it proof, to keep it clear without chill filtering. So this enigma has the benefit of mouthfeel. You taste it in all rosa, non-chill filtered, Gives you that lovely coating in your mouth. So you guys, help us out here. This is the Glenlivet Enigma. What are you experiencing as you smell and tap this whiskey across your tongue? You've tried the French oak, you've tried the Spanish oak, you've had two different kinds of American oak, first fill and second fill. How is that all coalescing here? And what other possible barrels are involved? What do you think, guys? Well, you get that spice, right? So the spice is usually gonna come from European oak. For sure. So we can kind of figure that out. Well, I'm getting an intense kind of raisiny note in there, which makes me think rum, like maybe there's a rum cask involved in there somewhere. What are you guys getting? Butterscotch. Butterscotch. That might be a rum cask as well. Green apples and raisins. Ooh, we it's a mysterious whiskey. Uh, we, we play the Very spicy. We, we play the, the game on the website where you can go in. I don't know if we do it with Enigma. You'll yeah, it's a crossword puzzle. Yeah, and that'll help you unlock it. Oh, really? The, definitely the, the last one we did, and we did, we allowed folk to guess. And you could score yourself. So anybody won the prize for the top. Wow, I'm getting like really big like coffee and dark chocolate on the finish. You get cinnamon. Uh, Chocolate-covered cherries, really a beautiful whiskey. But if I go on the website, I can play a little word game and get into this. Just go to exclusiveforamerica.com and cask strength. Wow, cask strength. No wonder I love it so much. Alex, is that part of because you guys are one of the biggest producers? How many? (laughs) Excuse me. How many liters are you actually able to put out every year at this point? With the stolen. Just to Alan's point, at the moment in Scotland we have more casks maturing than people in the country. So Very much like Kentucky. Just in case there's an emergency, you know. We're also planning about 15 years in advance, so we're already planning for 2035. In addition, the Glen is now at Alan, you're now doing about 20 million a year. 21 million is a capacity. Wow. Now, how does that, in the history of scotch making, was there a day in which distilleries were cranking out more than that? Are we still, are we in the golden age of whiskey right now? Are we producing more than you ever have before? This is more than ever, and Alan will tell you. He's been very modest, incidentally, folks. Alan is this year celebrating 40 years with the Glen Livid. Congratulations, my friend. Yeah, beautiful. Beautiful. So, what an amazing line. And you guys, we're, we're doing six whiskeys tonight, but... You guys have a line of what, 14 whiskeys currently available in the States now, is that right? Or? We currently have t- about 22 whiskeys totally as a company, yeah. Wow. 
And was that part of you coming to the brand? Did you help expand the number of whiskeys that you were offering? It's like you're trying to expand your markets. You guys are now, you have been for a long time, very huge in China, for instance, which yeah. is a, a massive booming market yeah. um, all over Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, here in America, people really re going nuts for the stuff. So mm -hmm. how have because you expanded the America brand to still, uh, meet America those still demands? Number, America is still number one for legal and live it, which we're proud of. Uh, I would I would never say that it was my work because we work very much as a team. Oh yeah, know? right on. So there's a lot of team, and also I haven't have been travelling a lot in the last few years. But you know the the team will feedback. You know I'm being asked for this, I'm being asked for that, and and then it comes through it comes through the machine goes into the mixing machine and comes out. Right, we'll try this, we'll do that. So gathering we, feedback. What then. have we got? What have what can we have? What what possibilities do. are out there? Yeah. So you listen to the to the fans. Alan's been very modest again. We we travelled to more than sixty countries with the Glenlivet. Alan, you just spent a couple of weeks over in China. Another huge market for us at the moment is India. We're often in India, and of course here in the U.S. But um, I mean, how long were you in China? Two weeks, Alan. Working Two weeks, with the Glenlivet. Yeah. And I was overseeing a start of a new malt whiskey distillery in China. You guys are making a distillery we're, there. We're building a distillery. Guess where the copper pot stills are copied from? Um, I'm gonna guess Glenlivet. Oh, well done, <laughs> Ballandock. But um, how do you guys go about doing something like that? Like everything in China, I would think is like you have to have an involvement with the state itself. Like it would be a conjunctive business in partnership yes, with the yeah. the Chinese government. Yeah, but there, you know, you and I were speaking earlier about Baijiu. Yeah. I asked, I asked my colleagues in uh, China, what is the proportion of that market is Scotch whiskey? 1% of the total spirit market. Oh shows yeah. how vast that country is. Oh yeah, how vast it is and how much baiju they drink. And if you've ever seen people toasting baiju, they drink in the tiniest glasses you've ever seen, but they, they toast to everything. So in the course of a night of drinking baiju, you might toast 150 times. There's a lot of great toast going on there. I wish I could speak Mandarin. Um, <laughs> so, it's yeah. Gumby, Gumby. Gumby. Gumby, empty so, glass. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember. Remember.